Hello and welcome to Client Ships Customer Experience Superheroes Podcasts. We believe in the world of customer experience today, you need a whole host of superpowers in order to be able to make a real difference with customer experience. We introduce you to some specialists, we share some tools and techniques, as well as highlighting some of the best brands for customer experience. In this episode, we're going to meet David Wales. David brings a very unique perspective to customer experience, having been the first specialist in customer experience in the fire brigade. David shares with us in this podcast the parallels between the emergency services and corporate world when it comes to delivering world-class customer experience and has some incredible insights into the world of crisis management and how customer experience plays a role. Okay, I am delighted to be catching up with uh, David Wales um, from Shared Aim. Uh, David and I have known each other for a while, but um, well, welcome first of all, David. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. And um, if you wouldn't mind, just for some of our listeners who may not be aware of some of the great work you're doing, could you just give us a kind of a bit of a plotted history of your your road to customer experience? Of course. Um, I'll give you the, the brief version. I became interested in customer experience by probably unusual routes in that I had a career in the fire service and probably about 12 years ago, we started asking the question of why people didn't behave as we expected them to or we advised them to. Mm -hmm. And so it was really a, a piece of work to understand how we could get the public to change to meet our expectation of them. So a very inside out view of the world. And the study went on to actually become a national piece of work over a number of years. And increasingly what we found is that the public made a lot of sense, their behaviours made a lot of sense. We just hadn't understood them on their terms. We'd understood them as a fire service who has a role to play, but not appreciated how different the experience is for the members of the public. Um, so over time, it just really dawned on me, and some of the most powerful evidence we had were the stories that people told me. And so at that point, I thought I understood fire. I'd been a firefighter, fire officer, fire investigator. Um, and by about the third or fourth interview, it just completely flipped around for me. And I became fascinated by that more customer-centred view. And over time, um, we developed that thinking and went back to the board to say, actually, the issue here is more for us than the public. That led to me becoming the first customer experience manager within the fire service of, to introduce that model and took me across the UK and internationally as far as New Zealand to share that thinking. I left the fire service about a year ago and since then I've set up Shared Aim, where I do some projects that are close to my heart that are pro bono and then some commercial work to help organisations improve, including sort of elements of customer experience. So this was truly groundbreaking. I mean, you just said there the the first customer experience officer in the fire station. I mean, I guess you know, most sectors wouldn't be able to trace back who the first was, but it was the, you were the first person to hold that title. I was the human behaviour research we developed six insights, um, four around, if you like, the operational side where you could improve, so the, the call and the operational attendance, the post-fire, and then there were two that were more conceptual, one about understanding risk um, and how the different in views on that had an impact. But the last one was really that relationship with the public, that as an institutional body, been well established how we are, well we understood with and engaged with the public and so from that insight try and reverse some of the thinking so that we could do the job that the fire service needs to do it's a legitimate role but also do it on the, in a way that public would benefit and i think some of those things transfer across so the personalization 
not all fires have the same impact or mean the same thing. As an example of that, one of the very first things we, we heard, we did 10 interviews with people that had minor injuries, minor fires. Eight of those people had pets. Mm-hmm. And seven, of them, seven of them described how the influence of their pets, their concern for their well-being, either meant they didn't leave the property immediately or they had left it and they went back in. We'd never picked that up in all the analysis because we hadn't ever thought of it, so we didn't collect the data. And I just sat there and I thought, it's probably the most obvious statement in the world. People are mad about their pets and will do all sorts of things for them. And until you understand those behavioural drivers, you can't really engage with customers on a meaningful term. So there's no point us shouting at somebody to get out when their priority is the pet. And for some people, that pet is no different to an extra person in the family. Wow. I mean, that's I mean, that's just so insightful. I remember working with an insurance company who um, would deal with people when they'd possibly had a fire in their house, but other kind of severe claims. And, you know, they start the conversation with, um, right, OK, just to let you know, where are you now? Let's try and get you to a hotel. Um, I think we can get a taxi around to you. And they'd get really low satisfaction scores on the back of it. And they didn't quite understand because they fulfilled the, you know, the requirements. But when they started to listen to the secondary conversations, it's exactly to your point that they'd miss the things that were most important. And when they then started to rephrase that question, which was which became, what can we do for you first? It never was get me a hotel. It is always things like. Could you get us an iPad? Because we're due to talk to the grandchildren tomorrow night and they'll worry if we don't get hold of them. So to your point, you know, the, the, the logical thing would be about, you know, getting people out at all costs. But when you start to see, see the human side of it, you actually start to see a completely different set of behaviours that you take on board in order to get the outcome that everyone wants to achieve. Absolutely. And one of the most powerful stories I used, and I could use it at any level, we interviewed a lady who told us about her son who'd been at home. There was some utilities works in the road outside and it caught the electrical meter light outside the front door. The fire never came into the property, but some smoke products came around the door and the son was on his own at the time. And so he was understandably concerned. I interviewed the lady about nine months later and she was saying that, um, she said, he's really concerned that the fire could happen again, that he did the wrong thing. And uh, she said, it'd be really useful if you could send someone around just to talk to him. I said, I can arrange that. She said, well, it's too late now. And so you had this really powerful moment where she told us what she needed. And when we looked back at it, we thought, if we'd actually taken advice and, and heard her at the time, we could have done that. Her son now was 12. Mm-hmm. didn't want to go out with mum all the time because it's that age where he's starting to be a bit more aware of that side and wanting to be independent. But he didn't want to stay at home because of his fear of the fire. And so every day this little situation was playing out. And for us, it was an absolutely minor fire. We wouldn't have thought about it twice. He probably will live with that fear for years, if not life. The smells, the sounds uh, and sights of smoke and fire. Had we done what was suggested, we could have gone down, reassured him, said that you did absolutely the right thing. That fire was incredibly unusual. It's not going to happen again. And actually, you did a great job. Be one of our ambassadors. Go and tell your school friends. So he would actually gone to school feeling good about himself, spreading that message across and the real thing that really struck us we had appliances in the area the next day giving out leaflets to other people to help them prevent that fire so it wasn't a resource issue it was purely about we did not take the time to listen our customer told us what she wanted unfortunately for me it was nine months and it was too late it wasn't costly but we could have gone exactly as you said from a somebody that unknown to us was saying the fire brigade were great but 
to somebody who genuinely recognised we'd understood what they needed. And it's those simple little things, but it's the insights you can draw out, how they affect thinking and practice. The parallels, um, David, with, with commerce are just incredible because that, that moment gets played out for many organisations with the, the customer who, after the purchase, is not happy with it but doesn't actually complain until there is an opportunity for them to complain. And by that time, it's too late to actually rectify it. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, if you're talking about buying a pair of jeans or, uh, or, or you know, a, a meal you might have consumed, it's one thing. But when you're talking about impacting an individual's life, um, because your, your customer journey, I guess, stopped with the fire, didn't it? The fire was put out. That's the end of the journey when you look at it from a process perspective. But when you look at it from the, the customer's perspective, if that's the right term to use, then that was actually just the start of the journey for them. Before that, everything was good. The fire happened and that's the start of the journey. So it's incredible, isn't it, how organisations can look at things from very different perspectives. It is. I've seen this in a number of professions that we join. And and if you asked me 15 years ago why I joined the fire suicide, I'd give you, I want to help the community. So all of that's true to an extent, but the reality is I joined because the job appealed, the pay was good, the the time, the the shift system appealed to me. I joined it for personal reasons. And over time, you develop your professional competence, you you go the exam route, you you do all things. But they're all internally focused, and there's a, a natural assumption that the better I get technically at this, the better I am at delivering service for my customers. Yeah. When in truth, if you haven't got those close links into your customer base, if you're not listening to their language, both the tone, the content, you're actually pulling yourself away. And I, I think that's what we really found over time. We were becoming very much better technically at being a fire service on our terms. And I see that in a lot of professions, as I say, there's that inward focus and the ability to really understand your customer is such a, a key one, particularly for something like the fire service, because people are always pleased to see us. Sure. Even where, as that lady said, you know, you were really good, but if we do the CSAT score, they love us because we help them in a moment of real distress. But it actually, the board like that level of 95 to 100% satisfaction, but it doesn't give you any meaningful information on which you can improve. And over time, you will gain, you know, that... that distance between you and your customer will build, and that's certainly what we found. I've I worked with some incredible people over the years, and I've got the great utmost respect for them. When we look to it, being better at what you do as a profession doesn't actually, say, connect you with the, the public, and it has to be, I think, as a considered model. And what we looked at, so for example, when we looked at the burn survivor journey, at the point where they were removed from the building to a place of relative safety, we still had them on site with water and crews able to provide first aid. But our priority was to give them to the ambulance service. And the ambulance service don't have water on the ambulances. And when they got to the hospitals, because it's not immediately life-threatening in most cases, they were triaged and would wait before they got referral. So actually, when we looked at the user journey, every agency, very professional, very focused on the casualty. But as a whole, we missed the opportunity at the scene to provide the best outcome for them by providing that 20 minutes of water cooling before they left and then began that journey through. And I think it, it's really become apparent for new organisations, the journey that typically people look at will be their journey within their or that company or organisation's experience. And actually for most customers, that experience is part of something much broader. I remember talking to the Commonwealth Office a few years ago and they said about when Mount Etna blew and they had tens of thousands of British people abroad and they did an incredible effort to get everyone repatriated 
a scale they'd never undertaken before and they were really, really pleased with all what they'd achieved. But then they started getting complaints coming because actually for the people that had been repatriated, the Foreign Office job was to get them back to the UK. But for all those people sitting at Dover, who then needed to get to Manchester and Tyne and Weir, they still hadn't got home. And so yeah. I think for us, probably in business as well, it's better at connecting the entire journey, understanding the show, going beyond those organisational parameters to deliver what the customer needs right the way through end to end. And that's quite challenging is to talk to competitors maybe or people further down the line and build those relationships that will make sure we can deliver exactly what people need throughout that experience. You know, it's a fabulous analogy for kind of silo working, isn't it, versus integrated working and, and kind of recognising that the contribution you make is is just part of the contribution. And sometimes, you know, your point about competitors there, I mean, Zappos famously, if you found up Zappos, American uh, shoe company, and they don't have the shoe you want, they'll find a competitor that doesn't put you through to them because that's what you called up for, a pair of shoes, not to find out if Zappos had them in stock or not. You know, so so I think, you know, the, the parallels are incredible. So clearly there's a lot of learning there and, you know, did a fabulous job as a, a firefighter. And now you've you've stepped out of the fire brigade. You have an organisation called ShareDame, uh, which is a very exciting title, if you don't mind me saying. I, I think I know what it's about. Um, but uh, And you've spent quite some time gemming up. I mean, uncomfortably, in customer experience, it's it's a relatively short trip to go from not being certified to certified. I'd imagine in the fire brigade, it's continuous learning and, and many years of focus. But, but you've decided since leaving over a course of, about a year, you, you've done quite a bit of academic work and, and getting yourself up to speed. Would that be fair? Yes, I've, I've had a long interest in evidence and decision making, and over the last year, I completed masters, um, which was in crisis, risk, crisis, and disaster management. And again, it was fascinating. Also, as you say, understanding that the continuous learn around human behaviour and an advice around what that means, um, both within emergency services, disaster settings, and more on a commercial basis. But I'm, I'm keen that we work from evidence based, and sometimes that'd be academic, sometimes it'd be more insight based. But in the rounds, there's a huge drive towards data, and I think there's, there's a lot of good reasons for that. But whilst that's a Peter mentioned earlier about the pets, and we hadn't picked that up through analysis and data because we weren't asking the right questions. And I think there are numerous examples that if you, you don't have those conversations where you ask why and, and really gain different perspectives, then you'll miss something quite crucial. And so I chose the name Shared Aim because I, I wanted the sense that no view is wrong on the basis that that creates a respectful conversation to say, as a fire service, we have a role to do, to extinguish fires, to help people get out of vehicles. That's not wrong. That's a legal and traditional role that is needed. But the customer experience, our suppliers experience, all of those are valid views as well. And the more we can find where the commonality is, the best chance we've got of exploring differences and making sense of those. With customer experience, a lot of that starts with some difficult conversations about the views that aren't represented, the information you haven't got. And I wanted to make sure that it's underpinned soundly by an evidential base and, and the right skills. And I think for me, customer experience is is part of a broader mix of ways that we can in, improve organisations. I'm very sold on the power of multiple perspectives and multidisciplinary approaches and then finding what's right for each organisation. It's It can be quite dangerous just to pick up a template and apply it unthinkingly elsewhere. As you say, yes, so I wanted to spend a bit of time really understanding 
not just what I could contribute to the sector, uh, but also sort of make sure I've got a good knowledge to underpin that. I think that balance view is exactly right. I, I, I you know, too many scars from um, going into organisations where clearly someone has, has gone in there almost running customer experience like a rugby ball through the organisation, you know, exclaiming how everyone has got it wrong so far and our customer experience will be the new messiah, as opposed to sort of recognising that, you know, around the trading table, you've got, you've got to get your position there. You've got to help the business understand the incremental value that being customer-centric can bring. Um, and, and if, you know, you feel that at the top level, the purpose of the organisation needs to be realigned, well, you, you've got to earn your spurs there. I mean, um, have you have you thought about that in terms of the role you you were playing at the, the buyer brigade? And, and I'd imagine it's going to be a continued role is kind of trying to open some of those doors that for other sectors are already, you know, very open and people are, are, are flourishing. Is that a, a role that you, you're you OK with? Yes, yeah, so I've always preferred the front end, the innovation, those, those workshops and difficult discussions. I think I just find that fascinating and facilitating those is, is something that I think really helps gain insights. You're right. I mean, I, I think the customer experience, I found, I learned a lot about human behavior doing the human behavior research of our customer base. I learned as much trying to take that back through organizations. And, and <laughs> it's something I've seen elsewhere where I, I've had experience is Actually, if you're not careful, going in using branding around customer experience too heavily can create a barrier because what it's a means to an end. And what we're trying to do is help businesses stay relevant, um, have the right skills, have the right view of the world in order to make a useful contribution for all, all their stakeholders, whether that's customers, shareholders, employees. They all have a stake and, and a legitimate interest. And I think if we don't recognise that, and at a human level as well, not just the financial benefits and corporate benefits, then we miss something. And so I'm very happy to play that role. And I do find that actually it's best to have conversations about what the business is trying to achieve or what it could achieve, and then talk about customer experience afterwards. Um, and I, I made mistakes, I mean, I have to admit that I became quite evangelical about customer experience. But then it's something new, and, and everyone that's been in business and companies for a while has seen the latest fact come and go. And so there's a bit of weariness, there's a bit of scepticism, and as you say, there's people established around the table wondering, well, what's this going to be because we've operated all right for X period of time. And so I think I, I've learned a lot, actually, about how to bring that in. And it's the same with a lot of skills, so change management, customer experience. The conversation that should be started is where this business is trying to get to, and then select the right tool for it and apply that in an intelligent way. I, th- I think, not surprising given my background, that the bit I'm really interested in it's the conversations around how we do that at a human level and a humane level. Processes and systems often are there, but we, we often don't take the time to understand how human factors and needs and, again, legitimate needs will affect that. And I think the um, recent pandemic has, has really brought that to light for a lot of consumers because there has been times where there's been no transactions there's been no reason to use a product or to to purchase a a product and and therefore you know organizations have have been at a bit of a crossroads because what they've realized i think is that much of their customer experience is actually just been slapped on to generate transactions it's been about you know getting more business um, and using customer experience as a bit of a leverage to do that but if you take away that business 
customer experience is actually still valid. It can still make people feel more confident about themselves, about those relationships. And it needs to be able to work when there isn't um, a transaction and transaction happening. I guess in the background that you've had coming into the world of commerce, there's rarely been a transaction involved. It's actually been about that human, uh, that humanity about making people feel better, feel safe, feel secure. So actually, you know, your perspective, I would say at the moment, is possibly more valuable than those who are used to dealing with transactions and interactions and service contracts. I mean, do you sense that? Do you sense that organizations at the moment have, you know, are, are kind of starting to realize that their purpose is broader than just their customers' employees? So it's about communities and society? Absolutely. And there have been some great examples uh, around how organisations have adapted and I think as you say, one of the things that it highlights for me is really around what do we understand customer experience to be and there is a legitimate way to frame it where it's about the business and how does it retain customers, how does it engage them but increasingly as we go forward, as you say, it's understanding how do we do business because that is as much of an important feature for many customers and one that's readily shared with social media, stories of companies getting it wrong and then not apologising or not responding in the right way really quickly translate to poor business and the reverse is true as well. Where you've got a company that understands it, it is, it's not separate from its community, it's part of it. Customer experience for me is also that social movement of understanding. Customer experience should be involved in thinking about what Black Lives Matter movement means, it should be thinking about the environmental issues, it is a social purpose as well as a business agenda. I think probably as a, as a maturing industry, there are some conversations that would be fascinating to have to say, how do we position that? How do we make sure that we can convey that to business that it is the right thing to do and it's the right thing to do at an ethical level, but actually if you act in the right way, I think the business will follow. People support that and they'll align their own values and say, this is the sort of people I would want to work with or deal with. Again, it's moving away from that economic rationality model. I've recently paid more for something because they wouldn't let me check it out as a guest. It's a one-off purchase. I would never use that supply again. But there was a facility to check out as a guest. And you think, just little things like that, I won't report that back to them. It's not worth my time. But they lost business. And I think, as you say, it's just understanding some of the human factors around transactions. It's understanding human factors around how people feel about broader communities. That takes thinking time. And what the pandemic's allowed, I think, for some companies is actually a little bit of breakaway to, to really understand their place in the community. And some companies use that well. Some more focus on just, as you say, the, the transactional level. One of the things we've been able to kind of reflect upon is, is, you know, we don't have a good barometer for it, but we're able to put companies into they're a good one or, you know, they're a bad one. And, and I've seen some positive movements, just silly things like, you know, the Royal Mail rebranding their post boxes blue. You know, I mean, they're Royal Mail Red. You know, you can imagine 30 years ago, the brand, you know, director saying, how dare you? But, you know, they've made them blue to just say, well done. It's our way of saying thank you. And even to the point I saw uh, Amazon in, in Atlanta, they've, uh, their new offices, half of it is going to be given over to house um, people who are living on the streets. They're going to set up 50, 50 homes in there and they're going to take it to make it a thousand homes. And, and that kind of sense of them, when you walk into work and kind of go, that's what my company does. It makes you feel more proud about the organisation that, that that you're associated with. 
if you are focusing just on the transaction, consider diversity, inclusion, well-being as part of your organization's purpose. It becomes a very tenuous and almost a marketed consideration rather than it being authentic. Whereas if your focus is on, you know, we put the customer's world at the heart of what we do, you have to embrace all of that. And, and I think, you know, the humane side of things that you've been talking about from the fire service is a, is a recognition of the the quality of life that you can bring when actually you are much more, more inclusive. So where we are now then, David, I mean, it sounds as if the, you know, your, your hot property, as it were, that's probably not a very good expression, is it? In, in a word of time. You know, you're, you're actually in quite a unique position because you can look at organizations from a very objective, independent perspective with good credentials, critique just how they are truly delivering customer centricity. And, and I imagine even in very developed organizations, very advanced organizations, you know, in the insurance sector and stuff, that would be as valuable as, as probably local governments or charities or other sorts of spaces. But what, what is the plan now? I mean, where, where are you you're finding opportunities to, to, to make a difference? There's a lot that I can transfer out from most service career, I think particularly at the moment, dealing with uncertainty and risk. Where people try to oversimplify, uh, it, it can lead to problems. And I think if you get comfortable with uncertainty and that risk is prevalent and, and an everyday part of life you can actually start to differentiate um, and to your question I, I've, I've had a mix which is what I've hoped to do is I've had some commercial work I've worked with global pharmaceuticals um, I've also recently been doing some advising for a, a couple of government departments some more commercial work and there's also a project I'm doing which I'm initiating to try and look at um, how we improve emergency calls and use some of the customer experience mentality and some of the technologies available to improve experience and outcome. I'm also continuing to do a little bit of research uh, and writing around that. So I, I very much hope to be able to have a, a portfolio, and, and so far that's that's proven to be the case. Excellent. That's great news. And um, if people want to get a hold of you, David, because, I mean, I can imagine you'd be a, a great a great speaker, but also a great, almost like a an audit for people, you know, a sense check to kind of consider, are we just paying lip service to this or are we actually genuinely thinking about it from the customer's perspective how can they get hold of you linkedin is that a good way yes i'm on linkedin those wells at linkedin or david at shared aim uh, they should be able to find me quite readily on there and shared, shared aim is a website the company website is there so sharedaim.co.uk but there is a email address with that which is david at sharedaim.co.uk Awesome. Well, I mean, it's it's. I never fail to be impressed with the progress that you make, David, and the easy comparison between the world of the fire brigade and business in customer experience. It's just, it's just incredible, just how alike they are, um, despite being very, very different um, areas that they focus in on. So, so thank you so much for sharing it with, with the listeners. I'm sure there'll be some really inspirational takeouts from it, and um, and hopefully, you know, people will reach out to you uh, because I think you've got so much to offer the industry. That and, and you're you're part of the next generation of customer experience. I think the kind of the more mature. I love that expression. I'm going to use that as your your quote. Kind of when you oversimplify, it can lead to 
problems. And it's a complex business because we're dealing with humans. So therefore, to boil it down to one measure or to, you know, crunch it down to a, a certification that takes, you know, uh, as long as it takes to watch Ben-Hur to complete, it's, it's just it's just insulting, isn't it, really? I mean, it is a very complex world in which customer experience needs to exist. And I think the way that you've approached it to try and explain and understand it, inarguably, you know, one of the most hostile of organisations I can imagine for that sort of thing is is testament to uh, your passion for it. So thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity, Chris. And it's great to catch up again. Thank you, David. 